Thank you for joining us for episode 444 of Live Happy Now. It's beginning to look a lot like the holiday season, and for many people, that means a whole lot of anxiety. But this week, we're going to tell you why that might not be such a bad thing. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and today I'm sitting down with Dr. David Ross Marin, an associate professor at Harvard Medical School, program director at McLean Hospital, and founder of the Center for Anxiety. He's also author of the new book, Thriving with Anxiety, Nine Tools to Make Your Anxiety Work for You. David is here to talk about why the holidays cause so much stress and anxiety, how we can use that to our advantage, and give us tips on getting through the season with our physical and mental well-being intact. Let's have a listen. David, thank you for joining me today. My great pleasure. Thanks for having me on your show. Well, we are kicking off our holiday season coverage, and we're going to really be diving into some mental health struggles and some of the challenges that we face during this time. And you are a great way to kick it off because your message is about anxiety. And before we talk about what the holidays do to us, I want to talk, you know, you have a new book out and it's called Thriving with Anxiety. And for a lot of people, that's a title that just sounds impossible. (laughs) So can you tell us what you've found about how we can actually thrive with anxiety? Yeah, absolutely. The holidays are definitely a time for high anxiety and also a time that many people do not thrive. So I can understand the question, (laughs) why is this book called Thriving with Anxiety? And and the truth is that anxiety, the more you fight it, the more you try not to feel anxious, the more anxious you're going to feel because you're just feeding it. You're actually feeding adrenaline into your system the more you fight against it. And the reality is we are going to feel anxious this holiday season when we're dealing with those family members we don't want to deal with. When we're dealing with those situations and, you know, running up a credit card bill when it comes to the presents and, you know, all the familiar stuff and eating too much of the holiday meals and feeling overweight and trying to compensate and all sorts of other standard stuff at the end of the year as the weather changes also. And there are so many ways that that normal human experience can keep us humble, can keep us connected to others and and help us to reach out to friends who we really want to connect with. And that we can become more emotionally resilient through facing these difficult feelings as opposed to trying to, I would say, snuff them out and get rid of them. Well, it's really natural for us to, as soon as we feel anxiety creeping up, we do try to stop it. We we don't want to go there. So how do you kind of embrace that? Or is that the right thing to do? Yeah. Well, I just want to clarify, you know, we do that in our culture. In many other cultures, that's not true. That's actually not true, that anxiety is simply part and parcel of the human experience and understood to be, okay, I'm having a bad day. But in the United States, in high-income Western countries, we have adopted this culture of, I can never feel bad if I do something's wrong with me. It's a medical diagnosis. This is, I shouldn't be feeling this way. I shouldn't have to, you know, feel panicky or uncomfortable. And I think it's that attitude towards anxiety that has actually created the anxiety epidemic in these countries right here, right here at home. That's so interesting because I had never thought of it in that way. Now, you founded the Center for Anxiety, and I was curious to know what made anxiety your choice of practice. Like, What made you decide to really look at anxiety? Personally? Oh, well, that's a personal question. I'm happy to go there because definitely (laughs) I have a good deal of anxiety myself. And there's been a life journey that I've gone through to try to figure out the best ways to 
accept it and to understand it and to actually use it as a strength, which is something that I'm very proud to be able to do today. I still get anxious from time to time, but I think when that happens, I speak about it with people I trust, with people I love, and it creates more connection. I think it humbles me on a good day. And I sort of accept that there's only so much that I can understand and only so much I can control, which is hard to do, but it's an important aspect of being human. And I think it also helps me to relate to others, to understand that emotional pain and emotional difficulties are part of life and certainly part of my patients' lives. And I think speaking about it as one of my patients actually wrote me an email saying it makes me more human. So I can't, uh, I'll take that compliment. You know, there's not much more I can ask for. I like that. And as the holidays start approaching and are already talking about this, so we know that anxiety comes with the holidays, is that making it worse where people do kind of have that anticipatory, oh, here it comes. Actually, I think it makes it better, which is why I wanted to speak about it at the beginning and and make it clear. What happens with the holiday anxiety, one of the reasons I think we have so much holiday anxiety is because a lot of people go in, even though we know we're going to feel anxious, you know, at the end of the day, we know what's coming, right? But there's this faint hope that this holiday season, it's going to be different right? That the conversations with family are going to be great, that I'm not going to overdo it on the Thanksgiving turkey, and I'm not going to... That expectation, we also have this expectation of ourselves, like it should be a joyous season, we should be happy all the time. And there becomes a chasm between our expectation for this season and what actually happens. And, And it's that chasm which actually sets us into anxiety, I believe. How so? How does that trigger us? Well, when you expect to feel happy and content and you don't expect to feel anxious and then all of a sudden you're anxious, well, now you're going to be pissed off about the fact that you're anxious, right? <laughs> like, right. you feel this way? That will physiologically trigger more adrenaline into your system and actually make you more upset and more anxious. Oh, man. Yeah. So I do want to get here in a couple minutes, talk about like how we deal with those feelings and that adrenaline, sure. but we have more stress during the holidays and that leads to anxiety. So can you talk about the difference between stress and anxiety? Because sometimes yeah, I hear it kind of used interchangeably and they are they really are two different things. They are two different things, but they feel the same. And the reason is because the, the physiological processes that are involved are, are similar. They have the, the same symptoms, if you will, like uh, having a, a bit of a racing heart, muscle tension, increased breathing, uh, stomach upset and distress. Some people feel a little bit dizzy and, and off kilter having a little bit less energy. These are common to both stress and anxiety, but there is a difference. Stress is very simple to define. Stress is when you have too much to do and not enough resources to be able to do it. So if you're 10 minutes away from an appointment and you have to be there in four minutes or two minutes, you're going to be stressed for the residual, you know, if it's six minutes or eight minutes or whatever it is, because you're not there, you have to do something and you only have so much time. The same is true for money, same is true for emotional resources and other resources that we might have. Whenever there's this shortfall or this gap between our demands and our resources, you are going to feel stressed. And the way to handle it is by rebalancing and recalibrating. I have to increase my resources and I have to decrease my demands. That's really the only way to, to manage it. Anxiety is a bit of a different animal. So if you understand anxiety, you have to understand fear. So I'm going to throw a third juggling ball into the mix. So, so we have stress, then we have fear, and then we have anxiety. So what's fear? Fear is a healthy response. It is a healthy thing 
that your body is programmed to do when there's a real threat which comes upon. And if that threat occurs, if somebody's being chased, if someone's being, you know, there's a car coming towards you, if there's some sort of a situation where you have to respond immediately in order to protect yourself, you have this built-in mechanism called the fight or flight system. And it's triggered by adrenaline. Adrenaline goes instantly into your bloodstream and increases your heart rate, the rate of oxygenated blood flowing through your veins, increases your muscle tone, increases your the field of vision so you're able to see better across the board, and all sorts of amazing physiological changes to keep you safe and healthy. Now, anxiety is the same thing, but there's one small difference. The only difference is that anxiety is a fear response without a real threat. So if there's no real threat, if it's in your mind, that would be anxiety. If it's a potential threat, not something that's clear, present danger in front of you, that would be fear. And without the clear and present danger, that would be anxiety. So oftentimes, though, we feel that it is a real threat. It's It seems very, very real when that's happening. And there's nothing wrong with that. Sort of like your your system is just priming itself to be able to react if it needed to. So when it becomes overwhelming, what about when it's so much that it's like, okay, I can't breathe or I can't, there's so much adrenaline, I need to sit down. Different people can just feel completely overwhelmed by it. How do you kind of regulate that to keep it from hitting that point? Well, I think first we have to reframe it and understand that that means that your neural system is actually intact and your emotional system works. And if there were some sort of a threat, your body actually would respond very well to that. So anxiety is an overactive fear response, but fear is a good thing. So the first thing we need to do is reframe and understand if you have an anxiety response, that means that your body is actually working well. Your fear response is intact, which is actually a very healthy thing. It's kind of like testing your smoke alarms and knowing that it works. I love that analogy. That's really good. It's a true thing. The other day it happened to me. I was in a doctor's office and they were doing this procedure and I hadn't eaten much that day. And I just, it was an international trip that I was on. So was, my sleep was off kilter and they were doing this procedure, which I was not expecting to have. And it really, I all of a sudden, clammy hands, cotton mouth, feeling a little bit woozy and a little dizzy, which sometimes happens when people have that anxiety response. And I said to myself, oh, wow. Your fear response works. Here you are, like (laughs) under the stress. And and it was not comfortable, but I just leaned into it. I didn't judge it. I didn't get upset about it. It was over within two minutes. How do you learn or did you learn to lean into it like that? Because many of us, anyone who's dealt with anxiety for a long time, we have a pretty well-conditioned response to that. And it's going to take a minute to change that thinking. So were there any practices that you did, maybe even when you weren't anxious, to start reframing it in your mind? There definitely are practices, but the first and foremost step was to get this very clearly into my mind that when I feel anxious, nothing is wrong with me. This isn't something that's going to kill me. You know, anxiety doesn't kill people. It's just not the way it is. To really, truly come to that belief very clearly Are there practices? There definitely are practices that you can use. One of them is to stop avoiding things that make you anxious. So if a crowd makes you anxious, you need to go shopping in a crowd, not sit at home. 
A hundred percent. You got to go during the rush. Now, if you want to avoid situations when your anxiety is going to be, I don't know, on a scale of zero to 10, like an eight or a nine. Okay. I get that. You know, you want to work your way up to it. Fine. But definitely go when it's going to be a four or five. Push yourself and experience the anxiety and let it wash over you. Can we talk about some of the things that might be exclusive to the holiday season? Sure. And one of those being office gatherings. We have our office party. Some people really cannot stand going to those. Yeah. Uh, it's a very nerve wracking thing for them on many different levels. So yeah. say you've got to go, you know, you need to do this. What are some of the ways that you can prepare yourself going into that? That's a great question. For some people, this might be an eight or a nine out of 10. So I want to be clear. If that's the case, then you, you probably do need some professional support and help around this and to strategize. But to give some general strategies, I'll tell you what not to do. Don't drink away your anxiety at the holiday party. <laughs> no one's ever done that. Come on. Yeah, never. <laughs> You'd be surprised, you know, in college, how many people, that's not the holiday party, but in college, how many uh, students, how many college students develop alcohol use disorders because of anxiety, because of social anxiety. Oh, interesting. In the weeks leading up, getting back to the holiday party analogy, in the weeks leading up to it, think about it. Like, what are you anxious to do? Are you anxious to make small talk? Are you anxious to speak to certain specific people on the team? Are you anxious with people of the same gender, opposite gender? Is it, you know, what exactly is it? You're, not, you're nervous about what to wear. And often when we feel anxious about these things, we don't think about it. Mm -hmm. put it out of our mind. Oh, I'll deal with it later. I'm not going to, it'll be fine. And you know, it's not going to be fine, right? So come up with a plan for whatever it is making you anxious. Think it through and start in advance. You know, if you're nervous about speaking to whoever it is on the team, well, you have a little bit of time now before your holiday parties, have a conversation with them in advance. Try to strike up a convo and lean into that anxiety in advance. You know, it might be hard at the holiday party, it might be too late. But while there's time, take it. And is it possible to use like self-talk in the time leading up to that to kind of flip your thinking on it? And I'll try to like cheerlead myself into when I have something coming up that I don't want to do. I will start weeks sometimes in advance talking, right. telling myself how excited I am about this, how great it's going to go. It's going to be fantastic. And even thinking about some of the conversations I'm going to have to really like get myself jazzed for it. I like that... the idea of psyching yourself up. I think it's a good idea. I think it's also important to have the self-talk to say your job is not to have a good time at the holiday party. Yeah. Your, your job is to show up, to be nice, that other people will like you and that you'll be, you know, and to leave at an appropriate time. Like does not have to be a fun, fantastic, awesome experience. Some people just don't like it. And that's okay. You know, <laughs> the goal is to face the fear, be socially appropriate and leave. And I think that's a much lower bar. If we psych ourselves up to like facing the challenge and moving on, I'm totally fine with that one. Absolutely. So then another biggie is those family gatherings. And it's not just um, the gathering itself. It's all the planning, the demands around it, especially when you're married and there's grandchildren and yeah. different people want to pull at it. So what's your survival guide for people this holiday season when it comes to dealing with family? 
Yeah, I like how you said survival guide because you do need, uh, <laughs> firstly, to survive. And secondly, is you need a comprehensive guide. <laughs> I'll give you a couple of ideas. You know, firstly, it is important, again, to lean into the uncomfortable feelings and to think about it in advance. What is going probably going to happen at the party? Which cousin, uncle, family, sibling, whatever is going to make that off-color, uncomfortable remark at the wrong time? And, and how is that going to go down? And how are... You know, how can you prepare for this in advance? Sometimes it does mean saying something in advance, like, hey, we're really looking forward to seeing you. Could we please avoid the topic of whatever it is, du jour? And there's plenty, you know, that can really, you know, upset just other people and say, okay, we want to get together and have fun. And if you want to have a conversation about that, let's get together another time to talk about that issue, but not, you know, please, if we could avoid it. So there can you can be a little assertive about those things. I'm a big fan for automating what you got to do. So, you know, if there's any ways to uh, decrease the stress of preparing, you mentioned preparing meals or having people over by ordering in advance, by catering, by doing potluck, by doing, you know, these sorts of things, take it, you know, you don't have to do everything yourself. If you're the host or the hostess, that can, that can really ruin the holidays. And uh, there's no reason why it needs to be that way. And it might mean having conversations with people around, we'd love to get together, but this is too much for me. And this is what I need. And this is what we're going to do. I love that approach because we're often afraid to say that, or especially say a a woman who's always hosted Christmas or Thanksgiving at their house and is saying like, maybe she feels overwhelmed, but she doesn't feel right saying, I can't do it this year. Yeah. And it could be that it just, you can't do it this year or you don't want to do it this year. And Mm -hmm. that's a conversation to have with the people around you and to see how they can pitch in and make it a little easier for you and maybe a little more inconvenient for them. But well, that's, you know, that's part of the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know I have a, we have a friend who they had a, a blow up last holiday season. And he's already, I mean, back in September, he was already dreading, like, how are we going to get through this with her family? And it is very important to have that conversation ahead of time. Um, But I think people are also concerned to do that. They're a little wary of bring, they don't want to be the one who brings it up. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Part of it is that, you know, we live in a society that really values being on, on your game, being in control, being able to do everything you possibly can, you know, like working two jobs and also making Thanksgiving dinner for 50 people or whatever it is, you know, the proverbial host or hostess with the mostest. And uh, uh, I think that there are limits, you know, we, we're human and people go through periods of higher stress and lower stress. And if you're already running ragged going into the holiday season, well, you know, it, it might be time to accept and to embrace those limits. And actually, that might be the reason to, or I shouldn't say the reason, that might be the catalyst to enhancing relationships with family. Often, when people don't say, hey, I need help, I can't do this, these are my limits, that's when the blow-ups happen, because the, the stress is so high before you even go in, and I've done so much for this, and how could they possibly say that, and don't they understand? And the answer is they don't understand, because you never said anything. So right. there's that dynamic. And how important is it to be able to let your family know, and I'm not saying your extended family, but just immediately, if you are anxious, if you're anxious about getting together with your spouse's 
parents and family, yeah. or if, if there's a lot of anxiety for you, how important is it that you can share that with your partner or with somebody that you're close to in the family? I like how you said someone you're close to, because it doesn't have to be your partner. Ideally, it would be your partner, but sometimes it's hard for you. You know, I can imagine one partner saying to the other, I really have this trouble dealing with your family. And that can be, you know, that's, that's <laughs> what hard. What could go wrong there, there David? <laughs> right. You know, that those conversations don't always go well. Let's just put it that way. It can go sideways pretty quickly. However, having someone to speak to, you know, even if it's a, a therapist or, or another family member or a sibling or you know, someone to strategize about it, to, to speak to, to bond with over it. I think also there are certain ways that you can say certain things. Like it could be that I'm really looking forward to having your family over this year. I'm also thinking about last year and these three things happened. I'm wondering how you can help me navigate it because that was really hard on me when that happened. You know, the, starting with the positive, mm-hmm. really focused, being prepared for that conversation. You know, unfortunately, some spouses can't even have those conversations. And that's not all marriages or partnerships are going to be that close. And and that's just the way it is. But it's important to speak to somebody about it. Don't don't weather it alone. That's important. I love. Yeah, that could be the soundbite of the whole thing. Just don't weather it alone. (laughs) The holiday season, a specific event, you just you really do need someone to to have your back and to know that you can kind of bounce things off of them. For sure. I definitely do. You know. And so what kind of self-care practices can people do on a daily basis? Yes, I'm so glad you mentioned self-care. Now, this is one of the ways that anxiety can help you to thrive. Because if you know that you are feeling anxious, you're feeling ramped up, you're feeling stressed, you're having a hard time already, and it's just getting into holiday season, we're only getting started, that's your body signaling to you, you need to increase your sleep, you start having breakfast before, you know, not eating throughout the day and then gouging at nighttime and feeling terrible about it. And you start shutting off your phone a half hour before bedtime and also having a bedtime, starting an exercise routine now, not waiting till January, you know, all of these kinds of things. Even if you just take the sleep, you know, I've had, I can't tell you how many patients I've seen where they were super stressed out. And I simply said to them, I don't want to see you on a regular basis. I just want you to work on your sleep. Get seven to eight hours of sleep for two weeks, and then you can call me back. And they called me back and did not need any therapy. That's amazing. It's happened multiple times. Yeah, that TV in the bedroom is a bad, bad thing. (laughs) Oh, my God. TV and devices. Do not keep your device next to your bed. Get a regular dumb alarm clock if you need it. Yep. Uh, If something happens, people will find you. If you need to be contacted, yeah, so fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's really important. That sleep, and then, and also, like this is we had already kind of alluded to it. Like we don't eat properly, and this isn't just this isn't about overeating. This is about being sure that your body's getting the nutrients and getting the nutrition that it needs. Because when we're stressed out and when we're anxious, we are burning through our calories. So how important is it that we start really looking at, you know, making sure we're getting some good nutritional food in us too? It is important. You know, sleep, I would say is more of a card to play. Exercise, I would also say is another more important card, but nutrition certainly is up there. One of them also is caffeine and alcohol. Mm -hmm. And those come up a lot during the holidays in both amounts. You know, when you have caffeine, even one cup of uh, Coke or Dr. Pepper, you know, these are highly caffeinated beverages or a coffee. If you're having in the evening or even after 3, 4 p.m., 150, 200 milligrams of caffeine, you're probably going to have trouble sleeping at nighttime. Mm -hmm. So 
it's I think it's time probably to kick the afternoon coke habit if you're going to go into the holiday season and, and be prepared have those good nights sleep at a regular time wake up and do your thing and then the other one is alcohol which we mentioned which can just to be mindful of how you're drinking when you're drinking who you're drinking with why you're drinking you know all of these are important to, to keep in mind and that's a really tough one during the holiday season because it seems like you know we're going to like i know we have two events this week during the week and i wouldn't normally go out and have a cocktail but that's going to be probably the reality of it and as you said we are just getting started yeah Um, i don't have a problem with drinking or social drinking you know where you people get into trouble is if you are drinking when you feel anxious Mm. especially if you are drinking because you feel anxious that's where people can get into trouble they end up overdoing it they end up uh, having to recover from it the next day. So if someone's feeling anxious and it's like, I'm just going to have this glass of wine and that's going to solve it, what should they do instead? It's hard to say, but you know, lean, try to lean into the anxiety more and embrace it. Understand that it's the holiday party might not be festive or fun, and that's okay. Can you weather that storm? You know, I, What I would prefer to see is somebody makes it through the party, they make it through dinner, they're not drinking. They're they're dealing with their anxiety. They leave early, but like a socially appropriate time to leave. They go home, and then they have a glass of wine. That would be okay with me. That's great. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Drinking in response to your anxiety, you're really like rewarding yourself at the end of the day. I worked hard, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to enjoy it now, and then you'll actually enjoy the drink as opposed. That's to- what I was going to say. It's probably yeah. a lot more enjoyable because you don't have like this. Uh, you're just trying to get this medicine in you. <laughs> it is self-medication. It's exactly yeah. what it is. And people, you know, aside from the alcohol abuse, the propensity of the risk for abuse and uh, and dependence, even for anxiety, it's not a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. So as we enter this holiday season, what is the one thing that you would like everybody to keep in mind? We are going to tell them about your book and how they can find it. And if you had, if this was a masterclass and this is the one thing they're going to take away, what do you hope they will keep in mind this holiday season? Yeah, I'll tell you right now, don't fight your anxiety. The more you fight your anxiety, the worse it gets. Instead, understand that your anxiety is there to strengthen you, to increase your emotional resilience, to help you bond with other people when you speak to those one or two other people about it, and to help you to recalibrate and rebalance and understand that, you know, there's only so much we can do and there are human limits. And if you're feeling really jazzed up and anxious, well, or stressed out, I should say, it's time to time to rebalance. But one thing I have to say is don't fight it. Do not fight your anxiety. Let it be there and let it teach you what it needs to teach you. Very well said. David, thank you so much for joining me today. This is very insightful. And I know our listeners are going to get a ton out of it as we move into the holiday season. I hope so. Thanks so much for having me on your show. That was Dr. David Ross Marin talking about anxiety. If you'd like to learn more about David, check out his new book, Thriving with Anxiety, Nine Tools to Make Your Anxiety Work for You. Follow him on social media or download a free guide on anxiety. Just visit us at livehappy.com and click on the podcast tab. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one. Mm